Chapter 100 of the Ontario Reader's Third Book by the Ontario Ministry of Education. Read for LibriVox.org by Linda Ferguson. The Jolly Sandboys by Charles Dickens. The Jolly Sandboys was a small roadside inn with a sign representing three sandboys creaking and swinging on its posts on the opposite side of the road. As the travellers had observed many indications of their drawing nearer to the race-town, such as gypsy camps, showmen of various kinds, and beggars and trampers of every degree, Mr. Codlin was fearful of finding the accommodation forestalled, but had the gratification of finding that his fears were without foundation, for the landlord was leaning against the door-post, looking lazily at the rain which had begun to descend heavily. "'Make haste in out of the wet, Tom,' said the landlord. When it came on to rain, I told him to make the fire up, and there's a glorious blaze in the kitchen, I can tell you. Mr. Codlin followed with a willing mind. A mighty fire was blazing on the hearth and roaring up the wide chimney with a cheerful sound, which a large iron cauldron, bubbling and simmering in the heat, lent its pleasant aid to swell. There was a deep red ruddy blush upon the room, and when the landlord stirred the fire, sending the flames skipping and leaping up, when he took off the lid of the iron pot and there rushed out a savoury smell, while the bubbling sound grew deeper and more rich, and an unctuous steam came floating out, hanging in a delicious mist above their heads. When he did this, Mr. Codlin's heart was touched. He sat down in the chimney corner and smiled. Mr. Codlin sat smiling in the chimney corner, eyeing the landlord as with a roguish look he held the cover in his hand, and feigning that his doing so was needful to the welfare of the cookery, suffered the delightful steam to tickle the nostrils of his guest. The glow of the fire was upon the landlord's bald head, and upon his twinkling eye, and upon his watering mouth, and upon his pimpled face, and upon his round fat figure. Mr. Codlin drew his sleeve across his lips, and said in a murmuring voice, "'What is it?' "'It's a stew of tripe,' said the landlord, smacking his lips, "'and cow-heel,' smacking them again, "'and bacon,' smacking them once more, "'and steak,' smacking them for the fourth time, "'and peas, cauliflowers, new potatoes and sparrowgrass, "'all working up together in one delicious gravy.' Having come to the climax, he smacked his lips a great many times, and taking a long, hearty sniff of the fragrance that was hovering about, put on the cover again, with the air of one whose toils on earth were over. "'At what time will it be ready?' asked Mr. Codlin faintly. "'It'll be done to a turn,' said the landlord, looking up to the clock, and the very clock had a colour in its fat white face, and looked a clock for Jolly Sandboys to consult. "'It'll be done to a turn at twenty-two minutes before eleven. Mr. Codlin now bethought him of his companions, and acquainted mine host of the Sandboys, that his partner, Short, Nell, and her grandfather might shortly be looked for. At length they arrived drenched with rain and presenting a most miserable appearance. But their steps were no sooner heard upon the road than the landlord, who had been at the outer door anxiously watching for their coming, rushed into the kitchen and took the cover off. The effect was electrical." They all came in with smiling faces, though the wet was dripping from their clothes upon the floor, and Short's first remark was, "'What a delicious smell!' It is not very difficult to forget rain and mud by the side of a cheerful fire, and in a bright room. They were furnished with slippers and such dry garments as the house or their own bundles afforded, and seating themselves, as Mr. Codlin had already done, in the warm chimney-corner, soon forgot their late troubles, or only remembered them as enhancing the delights of the present time. Strange footsteps were now heard without, and fresh company entered. 
These were no other than four very dismal dogs, who came pattering in one after the other, headed by an old bandy dog of particularly mournful aspect, who, stopping when the last of his followers had got as far as the door, erected himself upon his hind legs and looked round at his companions, who immediately stood upon their hind legs in a grave and melancholy row. Nor was this the only remarkable circumstance about these dogs, for each of them wore a kind of little coat of some gaudy colour trimmed with tarnished spangles, and one of them had a cap upon his head, tied very carefully under his chin, which had fallen down upon his nose and completely obscured one eye. Add to this that the gaudy coats were all wet through and discoloured with rain, and that the wearers were splashed and dirty, and some idea may be formed of the unusual appearance of these new visitors to the Jolly Sandboys. Neither Short, nor the landlord, nor Thomas Codlin, however, was in the least surprised, merely remarking that these were Jerry's dogs, and that Jerry could not be far behind. So there the dogs stood, patiently winking and gaping and looking extremely hard at the boiling pot, until Jerry himself appeared, when they all dropped down at once and walked about the room in their natural manner. This posture, it must be confessed, did not much improve their appearance, as their own personal tails and their coat-tails, both capital things in their way, did not agree together. Jerry, the manager of these dancing dogs, was a tall, black-whiskered man in a velveteen coat, who seemed well known to the landlord and his guests, and accosted them with great cordiality. Disencumbering himself of a barrel-organ, which he placed upon a chair, and retaining in his hand a small whip wherewith to awe his company of comedians, he came up to the fire to dry himself, and entered into conversation. "'Your people don't usually travel in character, do they?' said Short, pointing to the dresses of the dogs. It must come expensive if they do. No, replied Jerry. No, it's not the custom with us. But we've been playing a little on the road today, and we come out with a new wardrobe at the races, so I didn't think it worth while to stop to undress. Down, Pedro! This was addressed to the dog with the cap on, who, being a new member of the company and not quite certain of his duty, kept his unobscured eye anxiously on his master, and was perpetually starting up on his hind legs when there was no occasion, and falling down again. The landlord now busied himself in laying the cloth, in which process Mr. Codlin obligingly assisted by setting forth his own knife and fork in the most convenient place, and establishing himself behind them. When everything was ready, the landlord took off the cover for the last time, and then, indeed, there burst forth such a goodly promise of supper, that if he had offered to put it on again, or had hinted at postponement, he would certainly have been sacrificed on his own hearth. However, he did nothing of the kind, but instead assisted a stout servant-girl in turning the contents of the cauldron into a large tureen, a proceeding which the dogs, proof against various hot splashes which fell upon their noses, watched with terrible eagerness. At length the dish was lifted on the table, and mugs of ale having been previously set round, little Nell ventured to say grace, and supper began. At this juncture the poor dogs were standing on their hind legs quite surprisingly, the child, having pity on them, was about to cast some morsels of food to them before she tasted it herself, hungry though she was, when their master interposed. "'No, my dear, no, not an atom from anybody's hand but mine, if you please. That dog,' said Jerry, pointing at the old leader of the troop and speaking in a terrible voice, "'lost a half-penny to-day. He goes without his supper.' The unfortunate creature dropped upon his forelegs directly, wagged his tail, and looked imploringly at his master. "'You must be more careful, sir,' said Jerry, walking coolly to the chair where he had placed the organ and setting the stop. "'Come here. Now, sir, you play away at that while we have supper, and leave off if you dare.' The dog immediately began to grind most mournful music. 
His master, having shown him the whip, resumed his seat and called up the others, who, at his directions, formed in a row, standing upright as a file of soldiers. "'Now, gentlemen,' said Jerry, looking at them attentively, "'the dog whose name's called eats. The dog whose name's ain't called keep quiet. Carlo!' The lucky individual whose name was called snapped up the morsel thrown towards him, but none of the others moved a muscle. In this manner they were fed at the discretion of their master. Meanwhile, the dog in disgrace ground hard at the organ, sometimes in quick time, sometimes in slow, but never leaving off for an instant. When the knives and forks rattled very much, or any of his fellows got an unusually large piece of fat, he accompanied the music with a short howl, but he immediately checked it on his master looking round, and applied himself with increased diligence to the old hundredth. Dickens, Old Curiosity Shop so when a great man dies, for years beyond our ken, the light he leaves behind him lies upon the paths of men. Longfellow End of section 100 This recording is in the public domain.